Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. Well, it's official. 2020 has gone off the rails with the announcement that Kraft will release Pumpkin Spice Kraft Dinner in October in limited quantities. Limited, of course, because nobody asked for this. Absolutely nobody. What did they ask for? Well, how about great interviews with a spectacular group of women for this week's show, starting with the always fabulous Dillis DeCruz, VP of Wealth at Meridian Credit Union. Dillis joins me to discuss the COVID divorce, and we're leaving the emotion out of it and only talking about the money, honey, because as you might suspect, this pandemic is not making life any easier for women when it comes to marital breakdowns. Dillis has some solid tips for navigating the post-divorce world of rebuilding credit, qualifying for mortgages, and other added financial burdens for the newly single lady. Allie Payne, what she said's own retired teenager, is back, and today she's helping us differentiate between motivating your teen and nagging them to death. Allie regularly asks her teen followers on TikTok to share their biggest worries and concerns, and this week they unloaded. With nothing certain this year, it's more important than ever to listen to what they're saying, and more importantly, maybe adapting your approach. Ann Brody is exhausted from a couple of weeks of TIFF, but she made it this week with a huge list of absolute can't-miss shows and movies, from the sublime to the ridiculous. Orange Shirt Day has been around since 2013, and still many do not know the meaning behind it. Alison Tedford, an Indigenous freelance writer and marketing consultant based out of Abbotsford, BC, joins me to share the story behind the Orange Shirt the long-term impacts of the residential schools, and how to get involved this year. Adapting to wearing a mask, well, that's been a whole new thing. It's evolved a big learning curve, like how to keep your glasses from fogging up, how to keep it from slipping, finding the right fit. But perhaps the biggest thing we all learned was that some of us have some seriously bad breath. Aneda Deddy, the owner of Dental X, a full dental office here in Vaughan, joins me to share how to fix it and when you should be concerned. Finally, Canadians flocked to TikTok this past spring in an attempt to counter the boredom that lockdown brought us. Six months later, many have gathered a few hundred followers and found a community. Chris Collins, however, known as Call Me Chris on TikTok, went from zero to 4.8 million followers and shows no signs of slowing down. She joins me to share a bit of her surreal journey from hairdresser to TikToker. It's another full hour here at What She Said, so let's get rolling right now on 105.9 The Region. COVID-19 has been hitting marriages hard, with some lawyers and mediators seeing a 30% rise in caseloads. Pre-pandemic, women were already at a disadvantage when it came to finances and divorce, with the Canadian Department of Justice website sharing that after divorce or separation, women's income suffers more than men's, particularly for those with dependent children, with one study suggesting that women's median income for the year of their separation or divorce drops by about 30%, whereas men's median income decreases by only 6%. And even more alarming, women with dependent children were less likely than men to reach pre-divorce income within six years following the divorce. Needless to say, where women are concerned, the stakes of leaving a marriage are even higher during this pandemic. Here to discuss the COVID divorce is Meridian Credit Union's VP of Wealth, Dillis DeCruz. Welcome to the show, Dillis. Thanks so much, Candice. Always great to be here. So we are, we're looking at some crazy things going on because we had yeah. all these things in place already before the pandemic. What mm-hmm. are we looking at now with the pandemic playing into this? Yeah, you know, and you, you touched on some of the points. And, uh, 
you know, no surprise with everybody being cooped up for the last six months with each other, if your marriage was a little rocky and you were thinking that it wasn't going to work, it's accelerated it. And you talked about the stats, 20 to 30% is what I heard. I know you had somebody on for speaking on collaborative law recently, and she said it, she saw a 50% increase. And so I've been talking to people, uh, lawyers in the industry, and it's somewhere in between that 30 and 50% increase of inquiries. Um, on divorce. And what's even more interesting, it's women that they're hearing from. And so even despite the stats that you talked about, um, women are, you know, pulling the plug and <laughs> making that call. <laughs> and so, I, you know, I'm here to talk about, you know, what do you need to consider financially? And really, this is more about if you are going through that, you've made the decision, but even if you're not, um, because I'm here to really just, again, you know, I'm so passionate about making sure women are uh, taking control of their, their financial situation and, and being involved. Yeah, because, you know, this is, I, I mean, I think when it comes down to the breakdown of a marriage, we can all agree that it's a very emotional time. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. But when it comes to finances, women have to be very, start to get very analytical about this and, yeah. and um, specific about what their needs are going to be and leave the emotion at the door. Yeah. And, and, you know, so I was, I was speaking to a family lawyer just to see what she was seeing and she was surprisingly and not surprisingly telling me that she deals with a lot of professional women who you would think would have control of their financial situation. And yet they don't know what their mortgage is. They don't know how to do a financial statement. Um, they don't know what assets are in their name and they don't know what the cash flow is. And I was so surprised because I'm thinking, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, whether you have, you're professional or whether you're not professional, women aren't getting as involved as they should. And so, you know, this is where it's really important. Like I said, you know, going into divorce is hard enough, but the first thing, if you phone a lawyer and you go in and see a lawyer, you're going to have to put a financial statement together. They're going to ask you to fill out. What are your assets? What are your liabilities? What's joint? What's in your name? And a lot of women are feeling overwhelmed because their husbands have looked after their finances throughout their marriage. And, you know, I get sometimes I've said this, uh, sometimes, uh, you know, in a, in a marriage, somebody does, you know, cuts the grass, you know, takes garbage out, someone cooks and you, you divide up, you know, with the responsibilities, but to, you know, abdicate that responsibility and fully give it over to someone, um, is is you know putting you at a real disadvantage and divorce aside we know the stats tell us that nine out of ten women are going to be single at some point in their life and so yeah whether it's whether it's through you know be, be, being widowed or, you know there you're going to be single yeah you're either single or, or your spouse has, has passed away your partner has passed away or or maybe they've gotten sick and they're in the hospital and now you have to manage all this and there's so many things and so um again it's it's the importance of just being involved in understanding where you are financially so that when you do have to deal in this case with divorce you at least can go in confidently and say here's where i am financially well, I'd like to talk to you about something, uh, you know, as you know, I'm going through a divorce. And so, you know, uh, there's this whole rebuilding credit, um, trying, yes. to, trying to buy a home. These are big yes. things uh, yes. that play into this for women. So how do we, where do we even start? Well, start by understanding, I'm so glad you brought that up. Start by understanding what is your credit score? Right. So a lot of women may not know it. And, and I have a story of a friend of mine. She's been married, you know, 30 years and she applied for her first credit card. Now she had a credit card and she's married. still. she had a credit card and it was in her husband's name. It was an extra card. So she did not realize when she went, believe it or not, you know, she's in her 50s, been married for, you know, over 30 years. She's got, she's in a profession and she had no credit score. Because the house and and and, uh, and the credit card and everything was in her husband's name. And so these are the things you just take for granted. Just because you have a credit card doesn't mean you have a score. And so it's really important. I would tell everybody right now, there are so many free services to be able to get your credit score. Get your credit score so you understand what it is uh, and understand what's in your name. So once you've done that, 
people's credit scores take a hit, right? Through divorce, both sides will take a hit. And so it is easy enough to rebuild it. Uh, it's really important about uh, paying your bills on time, making sure you don't have too many revolving credit cards or lines of credit. And this is where an advisor can help, right? When you go in there and you're just like, I, I don't know what to do. Sometimes there's ways to consolidate that debt and maybe put it under one line of credit because we know that going through divorce, your debt's going to skyrocket with all the well, foods I was, and everything. I was just going to say, so, you know, that's what I've been going through. My debt has been increasing as this, as the case drags on. Um, and so what I'm looking at now is, uh, you know, I'm finding my credit rates really has taken a hit, um, mm -hmm. beca not because I haven't been paying things on time, but because right. uh, my debt to, oh, something ratio, help me out. Ratio, yeah. yeah, your gross <laughs> debt ratio. Yeah, your debt ratio. <laughs> it's too high right now. Yes, um, and that's yes. because I'm waiting on my settlement, unfortunately. Right. And so I am living in this yeah. space, but it, it, it affects my credit rating. I have no choice. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, so, so there's a couple of things I would say on that. So definitely sitting with an advisor and saying, okay, what do I have? Because it might be also you have too many revolving lines open, right? And so sometimes just consolidating and having one payment will help that, you know, rather than juggling three or four credit cards and, and whatever, and plus you're waiting. And, it, you know, if you, if you have, again, a, a good financial institution, a good advisor, you want to have these conversations because if, let's say, you were wanting to buy a house and your credit rating's not great, right? But you're waiting on a settlement and there's a reason why your credit rating is taking a hit, um, your advisor can put an exception in and, and put a note to the credit department and say, here's what they're going through. There's a settlement coming and there's a story behind it. It's just not somebody with lower credit. And so this is where I always go back to make sure that you, you see a financial advisor soon. And it's got to be someone that you emotionally connect with, that you feel safe that you can be vulnerable with, that they're not judging you because a financial advisor, as much as they deal with the numbers and the finance, it's not about that. It's really about how do you interact with the person in front of you. So really important. And, and I tie this into because, you know, I went through divorce and I, and I say this, you know, uh, I, I'm in financial services 30 plus years and I was overwhelmed financially, like financially, you know? So I'm thinking, this is why I'm out here going, if I was it like overwhelmed as to what do I have to do? How do I restructure? What should I do? I can't imagine how stressful it must be on others. So that's why I encourage, if I was to do a do-over, I would actually see my financial advisor sooner, <laughs> which I waited too long because I probably thought, oh, you know, I don't need to. So that, that's my advice. Really get into somebody you can talk to and they can help navigate you. Yeah. And you and I have had this conversation many, many times, um, you know, in the last year, you know, that you really just need to shake those feelings of shame. And, yes. and, and if your financial advisor is making you feel bad, get a new financial advisor, right? Because right. our last session, the last segment I did with you was kicking your advisor to the curb. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I would say that, you know, if they are not taking the time to listen to you, to ask questions, and if you're feeling really anxious and, and you don't want to tell them because you feel judged, it's not the right advisor. You really need somebody that can emotionally connect with you and help you help you through the tough times as well as the good times. So, you know, really important to do that. Okay. And Meridian has obviously a number of advisors available to help women through this. So where's the best place to connect with somebody? Yeah, so uh, just go on our website, meridiancu.ca, and you know we've trained our advisors, and this is what I want to point out. We are continually training our advisors on how to have effective conversations with women, with couples. So that's the other thing I encourage. If you're married and you're not going through divorce, you know, uh, whatever your situation, go in as a couple. And as a matter of fact, we have uh, check out our website because we do have a um, a webinar coming up on October 21st for women to. Uh, it's called Breaking the Money Silence with. Kathleen Kingsbury, and it talks about a lot of this. So it is on our website and everybody is welcome to attend. So check that out as well. Oh, that's excellent. We're going to share that on yeah. our Facebook page later. Thank you yeah. so much for joining yeah. me today, Dillis. Always great. Take care. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. Joining me once again is retired teenager Allie Payne, uh, our resident expert on all things to do with teens and parents. Welcome back to the show, Allie. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. So we're going to continue on uh, about talking about 
kids and school, teens and school more specifically, obviously, uh, because this is really just a huge thing this year. There's nothing normal about it. Mm -mm. Um, and you really wanted to talk about motivation in particular with teens. Yeah. You know, I think that it's tough for us as parents to watch our kids struggle in this for, for one, for sure. The problem is when we think we are constantly motivating them, we're nagging. Okay. So let's just call a spade a spade in teen language. That's get off my back. Uh, I don't need another monkey on my back. So here's what I'd like motivating to look like because motivation scientifically proven, it is internal. It doesn't come from anything external. What I want you to help your do help your teenager do is decide to do their best every day, be their best to do their best. That's it. Because that is where the greatest source of confidence, self-esteem, knowing their worth, that is where it's going to come from. Now there's probably an example in their life where they already gave something their all did really well and felt really proud. So anchor that in for them. What if school felt more like that? How can I help you? What systems, what words can I say? What sounds encouraging? It doesn't mean they're always going to get it right, but let's acknowledge that our version of motivating isn't working and we need to help them anchor in their own version of what motivation can look like um, so that they get up every day, no matter what school looks like and they want to do their best every day. And I think, you know, there is some, um, something to be said for the fact that because nothing is normal, this is yeah. presenting a unique opportunity to look outside of, of the usual way of doing things. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. For sure it is. And, um, you know, again, when they decide there's nothing more powerful ever when anyone decides the power of decision in the brain is shocking what actually happens physiologically. So we want to help our teens do that, not because we're the monkey on the back. But here's the other problem with that is as we are motivating our teen, we're also, so what did you get in that? How did your test go? How did, how did you do with that? What grade did you get? Are you doing okay? Okay. Let's just take a breath for a second and stand back. Here's what I want to Here's an analogy for you. If you had a teenager who was struggling with body image and was showing signs of anorexia, which I hope you do not, but it does happen, would you ask that teenager all the time how many meals they had, how many calories they intake, what they weighed that day? Like, would you ask them that kind of question? Right. No, because it exacerbates the problem. And so as much as, of course, we want our teenagers to do well, and there is a reality, unfortunately, with grade inflation that they need to do well in school in order to get somewhere else. I'm going to tell you right now, as parents, you have no idea the level of stress. That is literally all they think about is their future and how they're going to do and what school they're going to get into. So the more you ask about what grade they got, what percentage, it's not helpful. Let's worry about our children's mental health and their level of happiness and character and confidence and be less concerned about the numbers because our children are more than a number and the world isn't telling them that. So they sure need you to tell them that they are more than a number. And they know, I mean, they're not oblivious, obviously. They go to school. They know what's required to get yes. into university and college from the schools and their teachers. Exactly. So they don't need it from us. What they need, one most important voice in their world, especially their parent, is to say, you're more than a number. I love you unconditionally. I, yeah, and again, I'm not saying you're not going to pay attention to this and it's not important that you erase it from your mind either, but it's not what they need from you. What they need from you right now is do your best to be your best. Help them anchor that in and encourage and love them. That, and I want you to actually say to them, you're not a number. You're not a grade. You're not a percentage. You're a human being. And that's what matters to me because they're not hearing it from anywhere else. So. So when you talk to teens on TikTok right now, you know, because you're there and you share your videos there with parents and teens, yeah. what, are, what are teens feeling right now? What are they telling you in your private messages? So this was one of the reasons I wanted to continue this conversation with you today, because they are 
so stressed out. Their exact words, I wish I, I should have pulled one up on my phone, is I am so worried about my future. And they are taking this, let, let me get you into their train of thought here. If I don't get straight A's, then I don't get into the college that I don't want, then I will not have the future that I need, then I'm going to be a failure to me and my parents, then I'm going to live under a bridge, and then I'm going to, like, this is literally where they're going. They have the entire failure trajectory already in their head. Right. And as adults, we, we have the unique perspective to know just from experience yes. that it doesn't actually work this way. You go off course a lot in life and come back. So exactly. And this is, this was the one thing that I said to, I've said to my, my kids and I say to them as well, yes, grades matter to get into post-secondary school. Uh, yes, they do. I, I won't deny that. However, from post-secondary school onward, I mean, unless you're planning on doing a PhD or something like that, that grade doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You go ask any one of your teachers. I bet you some of them got D's. Some of them got A's. But it's, it's irrelevant to the who they are and what they bring to their practice was what grade they are. And you're, that's exactly the point, Candace, is they don't have that perspective. All they have is the world shouting at them about grades. We need to give them that perspective. Excellent. Okay, so for people who want to follow you and connect with you on social, where can they find you? They can find me almost anywhere at Allie Payne, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. It's Allie Payne, Fierce Talk, Straight Love. And on my website, AllyPayne.com. Okay, amazing. Thanks for joining me. We'll see you soon. Thank you. It's time for Saturday Night at the Movies, and joining me is a very exhausted Anne Brody, who has been watching movies with Tiff around the clock. Uh, Anne, how are you making out now? I'm coming too, but I think I'm going to take a couple days up north. <laughs> I, don't, I don't blame you. I don't know how you're absorbing all of this in your brain, but I appreciate that you take the time to weed out all the lemons for us so we can just get to the best stuff. So let's start with Fargo because Noah Hawley, the creator, said he wouldn't do another one after two. Then he did it years, years later. He said he wouldn't do another one after three. Then he did it years later. It's here. And it stars Chris Rock as the leader of the black gang in Kansas City in the 20s. And he's facing off against the Italian and Irish gangs who have infiltrated most of the Midwest going right up into Canada. So it's absolutely incredible as always fargo is one of the best series of all time um and each of the characters is so well defined and you really care about them and and yet they behave so abysmally it's quite a, a moral quandary but well worth watching i've actually never watched fargo so now i'm intrigued i i think that i'm gonna have to add it so where do you where is fargo what what is that on it's on fx now, they, quite often they will run older series to prepare you for the new ones. So you should check that out. Okay. It's a worthwhile uh, franchise. Well, uh, listen, we're heading into winter. We need binge watches. So this sounds perfect. Fargo, girl. Fargo. All right. What else do you got for us? The Artist's Wife. A very simple, emotional, austere film with Lena Olin and Bruce Dern. He's a... Uh, an abstract artist, very famous, very wealthy. He lives on, uh, or so we think, he lives on in the Hamptons and his wife played by Lena Olin is much younger than he is. But she's noticing changes in him. He's diagnosed with Alzheimer's, he's, but he's got this huge career sort of ending show coming up. Can he get the paintings done? Is she now rethinking her entire life because of the situation that she's in and the fact that she gave up her own art career to be with him? Uh, the performances are just out of this world. It's a wonderful film. You know, it's not car chases and whatnot, but it's really heartfelt and glorious. So I really adore, I really adore Lena Olin, and I can't actually remember the last time I've seen her in something. So this is, this is good news. Well, I'm talking to her in an hour. So oh. Tell her. Excellent. I'll tell her. I, love <laughs> I will. I will indeed. <laughs> okay. Uh, next up. Oh, yeah. From the sublime to the ridiculous. Tesla starring Ethan Hawke as um, 
Nikolai Tesla, the electrical inventor. And it's really nutty. It's, it's like a fantasy of his life in the 20s and all the people that he knew. Um, uh, for instance, uh, Thomas Edison, George Westinghouse, J.P. Morgan, all these incredible figures, they all wind up in the same room eating ice cream cones. And <laughs> it's just the most astonishing thing. Um, and of course, he was uh, really, I think he, he has the highest IQ ever measured. I think that's the case. And so they use this to take off to his imagination and how, and how uh, intense it was. Uh, it's really fun. Some people might not like it because it's so nutty. I loved it. Okay. So that went out. And Disney has, uh, we have some cute alertness coming from Disney. Oh, we sure do. The magic of Disney's Animal Kingdom. They have 5,000 animals, 300 species down there in the various parks in Florida. And honestly, my favorite thing was we meet this, the staff person in charge of the Bar Bar Barbosa animals, which are pig deers. Anyway, um, he sees on an ultrasound that she's pregnant and the look on his face, he turns red and his eyes start tearing. It's, they're so devoted to their animals. We see them handling giraffes, tigers, uh, manta rays, and the narration is terrific by Josh Gad. It's very heartfelt. I love it. It's the, the perfect antidote to the times we live in. It's and the next best thing to getting there. I mean, Animal Kingdom, of the four parks at Disney in Florida, Animal Kingdom is my absolute favorite. Uh, so if we can't go, at least yes. we can enjoy it. Uh, and that's on Disney? Disney Plus, that's right. And uh, I think it's eight, eight episodes. And trust me, <laughs> you'll cry, you'll laugh, you'll do it all. It, it's wonderful. Amazing. Okay, so we've got about 40 seconds left here. What, what else can't we miss? Oh, yes. APTN has a new series out called Amplify. And what it is, is uh, eight different directors with all these creative artists who are doing uh, what they do best, the, writing songs, uh, building things, um, writing poetry, to amplify the voices of Indigenous people. And it's quite touching and it's on APTN. So that's well worth watching. Well, I'm glad you shared that because Orange Shirt Day is coming up. So this is, this is a timely share. So thank you, Anne. You've got a lot more listed on the website at whatshesaidtalk.com. So, uh, and we'll see you next week. See you next week, Candace. Thank you. Stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. Queens don't hate, queens don't fight, queens don't stay unless their king treats them right. Oh, every jewel on my crown, you better believe I earned it. Won't keep people around that don't believe I deserve it. Orange Shirt Day began in 2013, but seven years later, there are still many that do not understand why we recognize it or the significance of the shirt being orange. Alison Tedford is an indigenous freelance writer and marketing consultant based out of Abbotsford, BC. She has worked on indigenous issues for nearly two decades in the public and private sector. She joins me today to share the origins of Orange Shirt Day, the importance of participating in it, and some of the best ways to get involved. Thanks for joining me today, Alison. Thanks so much for having me, Candice. Okay, so let's start with sort of the origins of it. How did it come to be? Um, so former student Phyllis Webstad, um, her maiden name was Jack. She went to residential school wearing an orange shirt that she had been given by her family. And it was taken away like most children found that their clothes were taken away and they were issued new clothing. The orange shirt was symbolic for her about what was taken from her when she entered residential school. Okay, so why was that common then for that to happen, for, for clothing to be taken away? There was a concerted effort to separate kids from their culture, from the things that were familiar to them. It was an attempt to take the Indian from the child and, you know, mold them into something else. And so those were things that were 
not allowed. Um, they there was often uniforms or more um, westernized clothing um, that would wouldn't be consistent with what indigenous children would wear at the time. Okay, so then who um, started uh, Orange Shirt Day then, or was it an organization that started it? Um, that was from, there's an Orange Shirt Day Society, um, and it came from the uh, reconciliation process um, through the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Um, that was um, a piece of reconciliation that kind of flowed um, as a result of that process as okay. to raise awareness. So this is to bring awareness then to the fact uh, that there, there were residential schools and that, you know, and, and what happened in them, you know, I, I'm Gen X, I went through, you know, school, elementary school, high school, uh, post-secondary, never, ever learned about residential schools. This is really, uh, for me at 50, uh, new information for me. Uh, so what is, you know, uh, what is the importance of bringing this to light for, for Canadians? Um, well, the reality is, is that everybody thinks this was such a long time ago, but the last school didn't close until 1996. And I mean, I was in grade eight at the time. <laughs> so it's, it's not ancient history. You actually just blew my mind. <laughs> yeah. 1996? Yeah. Yes. I yes. really honestly thought, see, now I just learned something new today. I legitimately thought this was something that happened in like the 60s, maybe early 70s. Yeah, so um, that was when the last school closed. Um, the reality is that so many people live with the intergenerational impacts of res residential school attendance. Um, children who attended um, experienced physical abuse, sexual abuse, alienation from language and culture. Um, they um, experienced starvation, they were experimented on, there was like horrific, horrific things happened and they were away from their families and they weren't allowed to speak their language and they weren't often allowed to spend time with their siblings in the same way that they would because they were separated by gender and um, they were forced to participate in religious activities that they wouldn't necessarily have opted for. There was just a lot of really, really awful things that happened. And there are natural consequences from when you experience something and then and how that impacts um, your experience in a family and your experience with the education system and how you keep your culture alive and how you how your indigenous identity is after being so long being stifled. And how so let's, let's talk about that a little bit then about some of the impacts then, because I think if we've learned anything this year, uh, you know, when we look at, you know, the Black Lives Matter and how systemic racism has affected generations in America, what are the impacts happening in Canada for our Indigenous communities? Um, and from residential school attendance, people who attended residential schools um, have been shown to have... Um, less optimal health outcomes, like they were impacted by their experiences. Um, there's trauma, there's a lot of trauma that happened. There was a lot of experiences that were really difficult to process and a whole bunch of people that went through similar things. And, you know, there were families that were powerless to prevent their children from attending because um, this was not optional. And so there was fractured relationships with government and it, it created a lot of challenges that still persist. And as we know, you know, it doesn't just stop at the individual. These effects are cascading in a ripple uh, and they will go out generationally uh, for people. So through Orange Shirt Day then, um, how can we get involved to start to make things better, to, um, you know, again, continue the awareness uh, amongst all Canadians of what happened in the residential schools? Um, so if you want to be supportive of residential school survivors, I mean, I encourage you to participate in Orange Shirt Day. Um, take the time to read through the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's recommendations. Um, talk to your kids and other people about what you've learned and hold up public entities accountable for their role in reconciliation and really look at how you can be a voice to advocate for people who've had challenges and
and how you can understand each other better because ultimately reconciliation helps us build bridges between our communities and we have to have an understanding of where people are coming from to really be able to connect and this is an important part of history so how are you uh jumping in this year then in orange shirt day how are you going to be participating um well we are distance learning so um we will be orange shirt daying from home and our cats will be very impressed (laughs) (laughs) well somebody has to be Uh, but are you doing it are you well is there anywhere online that you're going um in particular um to participate um any organizations you would recommend for people to reach out to um, I would look at, um, I would take some time to do some research online about, about the Orange Shirt Day organization. They have a lot of good resources on the website. Um, something that is more for adults for understanding versus children would be um, the movie Indian Horse was quite good at explaining res- the residential school experience and the impacts it had. It's re- rated 14 plus, but it's quite good and um, the associated novel is quite good. And another story um, is the Grizzlies movie and that was a movie that showed the intergenerational impacts of residential schools and some of the trauma that was experienced. That's also um, more for older children, 14 plus. But I was just going to say our, our, our resident uh, entertainment uh, guru, Ann Brody, uh, just actually uh, shared some information about the Grizzlies. That was, uh, it was uh, Tiff, was it Tiff? Recently, yeah. So she actually just shared that she how much she loved it. So uh, that's on the what she said talk website. So that we we do actually we endorse that movie because we loved it. Um, and so um, and just quickly, the Truth and Reconciliation uh, Commission's recommendations is that a, on the government website? Um, there's a Truth and Reconciliation Commission website that you can Google. It has. A whole bunch of recommendations. It was a process where basically everybody told their stories about what happened to them so that there would be a record. And it was a really important process. Okay. So that people could understand what happened and so that these stories could be remembered and these people could be remembered. Okay, wonderful. We're going to put the link to that then up on the video that we share out on social. Uh, and thank you so much for joining me. If people want to find you, Allison, where can they connect with you? Um, my website is sparklyshoesandsweatdrops.com. My business for marketing is feelbettermarketing.com. And you can look me up on Twitter or Instagram um, as Allison Tedford. And I'm, I'm hard to miss. Okay, wonderful. Thanks so much for joining me today, Allison. So much for having me. What doesn't kill you makes you There was a lot to adjust to when mask wearing came into effect earlier this year, like how to keep your glasses from fogging up and finding the right fit. One thing many of us noticed, though, was that we had some bad breath. While some of that can be attributed to your morning coffee or garlicky meal beforehand, it's good to be aware of chronic bad breath and what that may mean. Anita Deddy, the owner of Dental X, is a full dental office here in Bonn that offers everything from dental cleanings to complicated extractions. Anita is joining What She Said Talk as a regular to share information on dental health and why it is so important that it's just more than your smile. It can impact your general health in a big way. Today, though, we're going to tackle the problem of 2020, that stinky breath behind your mask. Welcome to the show, Anita. Thank you. So I think a lot of us, you know, when we just got used to this mask wearing, I know I was uh, maybe a couple of days into it walking through the grocery store and I thought, good grief, is this what people are smelling when I'm talking to them? (laughs) So when does bad breath become a problem? So um, usually is uh, having a bad breath is something um, uh, quite normal, especially like in the morning um, or um, even um, like at, at uh, nighttime. So it's very important to have um, regular um, brushing and flossing. 
Um, the most important thing is also brushing your tongue, something that uh, people don't really know, that you have to brush your tongue, um, because most of the bacteria stays in the tongue, not so much on the, uh, on the teeth and um, in the gums. Um, so if you are um, doing all your work and if you are brushing and flossing and doing all the proper things, and if you see that uh, you are still having bad breath, then you have to go a little bit further. So then you have to see a dental professional and um, then you have to make sure that um, you have, um, uh, like if you have dent uh, periodontal disease, um, if you have cavities or if you have uh, bigger things that uh, you need to be taken care of. So what is periodontal disease then? So periodontal disease is when it affects the gums and the bone. So then uh, all the bacteria that stays on your teeth goes further. It goes uh, underneath your gums and then it affects your gums and your bone and then the bone shrinks, and then what causes your teeth become loose, and then you lose your teeth. So it is very important to make sure that you see your dental professional and um, see if you have uh, periodontal disease. What are the treatments for periodontal disease? So um, the treatments are, uh, you have to start with cleanings, which is very important to have, um, it depends if it's every three months, every four months, or every six months. That's something that your uh, dental professional will uh, let you know. And then after, um, if you see that, um, you know, like it's going, um, that it's not getting treated, then you have to make sure that you see um, a periodontist and then decide if you need any uh, bone grafting or if you need uh, something that is uh, a little bit more complicated like surgeries. Let's say it's not uh, a periodontal disease and it's just bad breath. Is there a way we can... Um treat that? Like, I, I think everybody wants to reach for gum or mints. Is that the best way or is the fastest way or is there a better way? Um, sometimes it's, um, you know, like just to kind of treat uh, for a short period of time, it's not a bad idea to use a little bit of uh, um, like a mouth rinse or even something that, you know, like a mint or gum. Um, those are things that are um, just to treat like in a very Quick, uh, quick way. I'm not a big fan of mouth rinses because uh, most of the time the mouth rinses dry the mouth um, a lot. And especially for people that are taking medications or have medical conditions, uh, it's not such a good idea. So my favorite thing to do is to use a little bit of uh, warm salt water. It's like the grandma's recipes. Um, and that um, just not a lot of salt, just a, a, a little bit of salt with warm salt water a couple of times a day it kind of kills all the bad bacteria and um, it gives you a little bit of a, of a fresh breath, which I'm, I'm a big fan. Um, also, like maybe, you know, like um, a little sugarless, um, like a sugarless candy or sugarless gum. Um, it's a good idea. But, um, you know, like gum is not so good also for people, especially at this time that we are going through a lot of stress. Um, it's not good on your uh, TMJ, on your... Um, so that's why like we usually say you have to chew the gum for as long as that uh, kind of like the sweetness goes away and then you throw it away because it's not so good for a prolonged period of time. Okay. So, um, and the other thing I want to talk to you about bad breath, because um, I've heard, and you can maybe tell me if this is true or not, that when people are losing weight, uh, you know, when they're, when they're uh, actively seeking to lose weight, that sometimes their breath can really smell because of that. Is that, is that true or false? Um, I'm, you know, like that's something that's mostly on the medical doctor side, but sometimes it is true that the bad breath can come from your stomach. So people that suffer, suffer from uh, stomach problems, they usually do have uh, bad breath, um, especially if you are smelling that kind of like an acidic uh, kind of bad breath, we usually suggest uh, the patients to uh, go to the doctor and make sure that they see them and take uh, treatment. Because it is true that if you are seeing that all your mouth has no problems, like let's say no cavities, uh, no periodontal disease, no gingivitis, no other problems in the mouth, you have very good uh, oral hygiene, you are seeing a dental professional very often, but you still feel that you have bad breath, that's our next thing uh, to do is to refer the patient to the uh, medical doctor and make sure that they don't have a uh, medical condition, mostly related to the stomach. Okay. And just quickly before we wrap it up, gingivitis, that, that's different than what we were talking that's, about before. So please yes. tell me what gingivitis is. I, I mean, I think we've all heard it from the commercials, but what's the, <laughs> what's the clinical definition? Yeah. Gingivitis is uh, the, probably the most common um, disease that people can have. And is those red gums that you can see when you have bleeding gums, um, and that's called gingivitis. It is reversible. So with uh, taking good care at home and seeing your dental professional, 
that can be treated and you can have healthy gums uh, like before. So it's a, it's a great thing that um, you need to do like a little bit more extra work on your sides. Okay, so the flossing, basically. <laughs> yeah, brushing, flossing is very, very important. Okay, excellent. So if people want to connect with you and they want to maybe find out a little bit more about their bad breath, uh, where can they find you? So they can find us on um, like our website is dentalex.ca. Uh, we are very active on our social media. So Instagram is dentalex.ca. Uh, Twitter is at uh, Dentalex Smiles or on Facebook, uh, Dentalex. Okay, excellent. Thank you so much for joining me. I look forward to having you back. Uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you so much. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. most Canadians, you embraced a lot of new things when we went into lockdown in March of this year, like physical distancing, face masks, flower shortages, and TikTok. With nothing but time on our hands, women of all ages embraced the wildly popular social platform with enthusiasm, learning new songs, practicing duets, and lip-syncing to the latest songs. A few, though, like my next guest, amassed millions of followers. Chris Collins is a TikToker and full-time hairdresser that runs her own business from home. She lives in BC with her dog, Kevin, who makes regular appearances on her TikTok account called Call Me Chris. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. So just for people, you know, people, there are some people who, believe it or not, have not heard of TikTok. So let's just start with you. Oh, you didn't, you weren't on TikTok until March. Yeah, until April, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't on TikTok till April, so I was very confused. I thought it was just a dance app, and I can't dance, so I was just like, this isn't for me, and then I kind of went down that TikTok hole, I downloaded it, and watched it for three days, and then, yeah, I was like, I'm going to make some videos, see how that goes. <laughs> okay, so now we're like five months later, how many followers yeah. do you have? I have gained 4.8 million followers now. <laughs> That's an absolutely insane number of people yes. following you. Now, TikTok recently announced that they had a creator fund. And the creator fund was that people would receive money, I think two to three cents for every thousand views. You and yeah. I recorded a longer podcast uh, just before this interview. And I just found out today that Canadians are not eligible for the TikTok creator fund. Yeah, no, it sucks. But yeah, we haven't we haven't gotten that yet. And given given all the uh, all the stuff that's going on in the states with the ban and everything, I don't think we'll be seeing any of that anytime soon. But um, yeah, it's unfortunate. <laughs> so, how has this changed your life then, uh, from the time you know from getting on obviously TikTok and just you know recording little videos to now? it's in it's changed my life in the biggest way it's just um i've never i've always never been a social media person and now i'm kind of in the public eye and i'm getting recognized in walmart and it's so bizarre and i'm i'm getting messages all the time saying that i'm making people's days and making people happy and helping people and that's just that's something i never thought i'd be able to do so that's very it, it warms my heart and it, it makes me really happy and i'm really enjoying doing this so tell people then what kind of videos you record who are listening and don't follow you. Yeah, for sure. So I'm, I'm mostly comedy based. I do a lot of lip syncing and a lot of original content based on my family and um, how I was raised and all that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, it's, it's pretty random all over the place, but I, I make mostly pretty relatable family friend kind of content <laughs> for the people that are listening. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so has this turned into sponsorship for you with brands? Yes. Yeah, I definitely get um, a lot of, a lot of, well, a lot of, a lot of brands reaching out to me and then I talk back and forth with them and everything. So that's, that's been a whole other ball field that I'm trying to figure out and everything. Um, but it's, it's incredible. I never, I never expected any of this to happen. So the fact that I can, I can, I have the capability of making some money on TikTok through brands is, is really cool and kind of motivates me to keep, keep doing it and may possibly do it for like a full-time job. So you came to my attention really through one video that you shared about mental health. 
is how I found you scrolling through TikTok. You showed up on my For You page. Um, tell me about that video specifically. Yeah, with that video, um, it just kind of stemmed from having a really bad day and a lot of my followers telling me how I was helping them through hard times with all my comedy videos. So I just kind of wanted to let people know that I'm not okay every day and that I have struggled with mental health and that it's okay to struggle with mental health and get help because I needed to hear that from a lot of other people that it was okay for me to get help. And um, yeah, that's why I made that video and then it got, it got received very positively, which was really good and unexpected. So I just, I kind of keep that message throughout my TikToks um, today. So, yeah. Okay. And so on the topic of mental health, I mean, I imagine going from a thousand followers to 4.8 million uh, creates mm -hmm. a lot of pressure. So how are you maintaining your mental health right now through all of this? Yeah, I definitely have to make sure I take days off and uh, definitely still going to therapy and doing all that kind of stuff if I need to and uh, having days where I turn off my phone and I I went through a little spout of posting literally every single day which I still do but it was it was purely to people please and not just for the joy of doing it so I'm just making sure to keep checking in with myself and making sure I'm doing it because I enjoy doing it. <laughs> I'm curious, how many hours a day do you spend, do you think, between viewing other videos, commenting back with people, creating um, your own videos? How much of your day is now consumed with this? Oh, that's embarrassing. Probably a lot. I'm a day, probably at least. Uh, and I work every day, too, during hairdressing. Probably, like, at least four hours, at least. <laughs> doing that kind of stuff because I spend a lot of time doing that in the morning and at night when I'm going to bed just like commenting on stuff and going through that so probably I, I now you just made me laugh knowing this you're still doing hairdressing how are your clients yeah. handling your sudden fame now that you're oh my god you're famous with 4.8 million followers yeah it's just so funny because they knew me beforehand and they're just they think I'm just regular me but they're they're just loving it and um they're they're my followers too now which is so funny they're they're so supportive and they like they tell everybody like oh my hairdressers call me chris on tiktok and <laughs> it's just it's super funny and then their kids follow me so like they come over and it's it's just been super weird but it's been funny <laughs> excellent so if people want to follow you on tiktok uh let's let's lay out all your social platforms just in case tiktok somehow goes missing we never know so let's start with tiktok where can they find you yeah, I am Call Me Chris, which is K-A-L-L-M-E-K-R-I-S. And then my Instagram is the same. It's well, it's Call Me Chris underscore four. And then I'm also Call Me Chris on YouTube. Okay, so, excellent. Yeah, those are all my, all my I social media. I just have one last request. Uh, can you please say yeah. hi, Phil, for the producer of my show? <gasps> Absolutely. Hi, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be so happy. Uh, Fix It Phil Amazing. adores you. And when I told him I was interviewing you, <gasps> he's, he's thrilled. So I just want to make sure that uh, you say hello to him. Thanks so much That's for joining amazing. me this week, Chris. You are so welcome. Thank you. That's it for What She Said for this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidradio.com and be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify for extended podcasts. I'll be back next week with more What She Said on 105.9 The Region. Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com.